Let's pray together. God, you are a God who loves us. And we seek, we yearn uh, to know of your hug, your embrace today. Thanks for the invitation to run to you. Uh, thanks for the promise that you will love us as we do. That you'll forgive us even in our sin. And uh, God, that you'll even take a moment such as this to reveal yourself in your word. How amazing is that? And so, God, in the midst of that greatness, we uh, give thanks. But in the midst of that greatness, we also we, we lean into you. Because we know that as you uh, embrace us, as you love us, God, you care for the very needs of our lives. And so even today as I kind of speak into living rooms around the Shenango Valley, God, I know that there are needs. There are deep needs. There are physical needs. There are emotional needs. There are spiritual needs. And so I pray that indeed today in all of your might and in all of your love, uh, that you would reach in and attend to those needs. Make us a people that are willing to cry out to you that you might indeed love on us. I know that in this day of isolation and quarantine, uh, there's just not the, the physical realm of a virus, but there is an emotional realm uh, easily of things like depression and anxiety and fear. And so uh, we, we ask God for your presence, for your healing, for your care and concern for your people. Uh, in these days in that way. And uh, we continue to yearn for that to lift in us uh, the freedom to uh, be about uh, your business, your work for your glory in this valley. Uh, God, so indeed do that, but we pray as well that you would uh, minister to us by your word even now. Speak, uh, God, we indeed are listening. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I uh, want to start today with a short discussion this morning, and these are moments that I uh, really miss you being here, because these would be moments that we would have maybe an open discussion for just a second, maybe a show of hands, but hey, you can have a discussion where you are, so maybe just a second to have a discussion around this question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you like change? On a scale of one to 10, here's your discussion item. How much do you like change? So one is that I absolutely despise change. In fact, the only reason I change my underwear is because I have to, right? So I, I, I hate change on one end. A 10 is I love change. In fact, I would change the furniture in my living room every day if my spouse would let me, right? So uh, that, that's the continuum. Where do you fall uh, on that place of loving change. Go ahead, have a discussion amongst yourselves. Okay, so you've found your place on that spectrum, right? Let me admit to you, confess to you, maybe, uh, that I'm probably a high seven or a low eight in my love for change. Some, like my wife, have called me a change-aholic. Uh, others uh, have accused me of changing things just for the sake of changing things, and quite frankly, I don't deny either of those. Uh, I'm one that 
uh, sometimes particularly likes change. Uh, we, we all differ, don't we? Uh, maybe even amongst your family, you differ when it comes to our feelings on change. But maybe this is a place that we can all agree. How many of you are absolutely tired of the changes that this virus has brought? I think we'd all be. Listen, I, I, I love change, but I'm tired of that change, right? I'm ready to change back to some of the things we have done and maybe in particular be able to change back to have you here worshiping with me uh, in this sanctuary. Stay tuned for those announcements to come. Um, but we can all agree, right, that we are tired of this. Well, change, change is at the center of our thoughts this morning as we think about who God is and how we respond to him. Maybe especially in these days of the changes around COVID-19. We're in a short mini-series, in case you are just joining us today, um, a short series talking about uh, the certainty of God in the midst of the uncertainty of COVID-19 and all the responses to it. Uh, that, that we want to discover the one thing certain in uncertainty. Maybe said another way this morning, uh, discovering the one thing that doesn't change in the midst of everything that does, right? Uh, we, we do so to see some of the amazing attributes of God. Attributes a big word for just answering the question of who is God. And we've seen that God is incomprehensible as well as eternal. We have seen that God is sovereign. We've seen that God is uh, merciful as he is holy. And today we see that God is immutable. You ready for that? See, you're learning all kinds of really good words, right? Immutable. That God doesn't change. That's what that means. Uh, or as Tozer would say, yeah, one that uh, saying that God never differs from himself. And, and recognize that we do all of this work, right, in the attributes of God to discover who God is, that we might join with the Apostle Paul in the song of praise of Romans 11.33, which you've been working really hard to memorize, and when you come back, uh, I'm going to be so proud that you've memorized this verse, Romans 11.33, that after a, a, a glorious exposition of the gospel and of who God is, Paul says, oh, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. The Apostle Paul says, yes, even though I've, I've known all of this and I've exposed all of this with regard to the gospel, and, and I, I know so many things that, that I'm, I'm just beginning to begin to know who God is. That even though in this life we will not know God in all of his fullness, that we might have the hope of knowing him more, that he might be, listen, the certain thing in our uncertainty. So turn with me today to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Short text today. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, whose life, as we will see, has been radically filled with change, right, writes to a church that is undergoing the pain of change themselves, uh, and, and here is our thought pattern for this morning from the Apostle Paul. So Paul, whose life has been radically changed, right, and filled with change to a church who's experiencing the pain of change. And he says this. This is the sermon in a sentence, right? Uh, the, 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 the reality of what he's saying is four points. Everything changes. Everything changes. But God does not. But God does not. So that we might rely on him in change and get this 
ultimately that we will be changed. Catch that? In this life, everything is changing. But God is not. That we might rely on Him in change and ultimately be changed by Him. I hear the Apostle Paul as he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. This is the very Word of God. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And may God help us in the understanding of his word. First point is what? First point is this, everything changes. It's probably a point that does not really need to be made unless, of course, you've been living under a rock for a long time like your entire life or think that maybe you're the only person in this world that experiences change on a daily, hourly, minute basis, right? Everything in our lives is always Changing. If we just reflect for a moment, we realize that the economy of God, the way God has set things up, the purposes of God for us, is that everything is always changing. We've experienced a lot of changes in the past eight, nine, ten weeks or so. As significant as they are, listen, they are but a small glimpse of the changes that we constantly face. We know about physical changes in aging. As you watch this today on May 17th, it's my birthday. I've just turned 55. I'm feeling the reality of the change of age. Uh, in our family, we've experienced the changes of family life as our kids have grown up. And now, as we watch our grandchildren grow up. You've experienced those changes. We've experienced job changes, uh, wondrously so, that has brought us even to Covenant Church. You have experienced those changes. It goes on and on and on and on, right? And daily, the reality is, is that we experience change. Everything changes. I listened to a great talk by Ravi Zacharias this week, a great man of God and a great Bible scholar. And by the way, if you are not aware, is facing the changes currently of the end of life due to cancer. We need to continue to pray for Ravi and for the Zacharias family. He talked about in this talk that he gave the three great changes that God is at work to do in our lives as Christians. He outlined them as this, formation, right? Transformation and consummation. So here here you go, Ravi's a, a scholar, so let me put it into my brain. Formation is the reality of our birth, right? Transformation is the reality of our conversion, and consummation is the reality of our death. But Ravi's point was that as simple as that is, as, as those events seem in our life, they are really not that simple. They're, they're ongoing, and they're developing, and get this, they are changing, right? So while formation starts for us as we move from non-existence to existence as a, as a cell in our mother's womb, right? That there is quick formation and quick change in the reality of who we are, even to our birth and our growing up. And there is always these uh, natural changes that are happening in our formation. 
Our, our transformation, we, many of us can point to a time and a place where we walked an aisle or prayed with a person, or our parents in our homes, of the reality of, of coming to Christ. But that transformation is ongoing. It, it continues to change and we mature in our walk and our journey with Jesus. And, and even our consummation, as we think about our death, quite frankly, we began to die the day that we were born, right? We're moving towards that place. And certainly we hit certain points in our lives where we feel the, the weight of that. We groan, as Paul says, uh, in this earthly tent, waiting our, our heavenly home. So there, there is formation, transformation, and consummation, but each of them are filled with tons of change. Everything changes. The Apostle Paul knew this. Uh, he was born into a, a great Jewish home that raised him as one uh, who as a great Pharisee, a great teacher of the law, would actually despise those who were followers of Christ. Only <laughs> to radically change and become one of those Christ followers on a road one day to Damascus. Many of you know that story. And then to become a leading agent of change among his people, the Jews, in becoming Christ followers. Even this church that he writes to in 2 Corinthians is uh, evidence of the reality and the power of his ministry by the Spirit of God to see change amongst the people, both Jew and Gentile, on becoming Christ followers. And here in this text, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, it tells us of a season in time in his ongoing transformation that he ran into some substantial affliction. That affliction being change. We're not sure what it is, but we are told of its intensity. Listen to the intensity of this affliction, of this change. He says in verse 8, utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. In the beginning of verse 9, that we received the sentence of death. Paul thought he was going to die at this season, in this event that he is referring to. And if we recall the life of Paul, it could be any number of moments where this is the case. Paul also talks later in this book about not just a season of affliction, but a constant reminder of affliction. Not, not a season of change, but a constant reminder of change in his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to turn there, just over a page. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 7. Paul says this, To keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the things that God was telling him, he says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Again, we're not told what this thorn in the flesh is, but we are told about its intensity. It was so bad that Paul would plead three times, it says, to the Lord to take it from him. All of that to say this, that Paul understood, maybe better than most, the intensity and the impact of change. And into this enters God. That into our angst of change issues, get this, enters one who never changes. That in the midst of everything changing, there is one who never changes. Our second point this morning is this, that while everything changes, God does not. While he gives us 
formation. He brings us uh, from non-existence into existence as he brings transformation in the reality of, of sending his spirit that we might be aware of our sin and, and gloriously aware of a savior. That, that In consummation as he prepares us even for that transition into the heaven of heavens uh, and, and to see him as Lord of Lords. Uh, we are told that God has not gone through any of that. He, he's never been non-existent. He's never had to be formed. He has always existed. And listen, there is no transition for him. There's no transformation for him. He will always exist. And he will always exist as he always has been. That's a deep thought. It's a philosophical thought. But I just want you to get your mind around the grasp of the truth that God is what? The same yesterday today and tomorrow. And that's, that's not a, a three-day span. That's, that's the Word of God saying that God has never changed. He always has been and He always will be. And who He has been and always will be never changes. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says this, God cannot change for the better. Since He is perfectly holy, he has never been less than holy than he is now. And he can never be holier than he is and has always been. <laughs> Neither can God change for the worse. Can't change for the better. And he can't change for the worse. Any deterioration within the unspeakably holy nature of God, uh, Tozer says, is impossible. Indeed, he says, I, I believe it is impossible even to think of such a thing. For a moment, the moment we attempt to do so, the object about which we are thinking is no longer God, but something else and someone less than He. God can't get better. God can't get worse, says Tozer. He is always the same. Spurgeon maybe puts it um, a bit more clearly and succinctly. He says this, I could no more think of a changing God than I could of a round square. Let that sink in. I couldn't think of a changing God any more than I could think of a round square or any such absurdity. Look at Paul's confidence in our text in the unchanging nature of God. Verse 10, he says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. It's, a, it's a kind of a drop-the-mic moment. This, this guy who has given us run-on sentence after run-on sentence uh, in all of his theology and the exposition of who God is, he says this about God. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he's going to deliver us. Why? Because he never changes. It's reflective of Paul's confidence in an unchanging God. He has always delivered us. And he will deliver us, says Paul. He has done it before, and he will do it again. Paul reflects on the grace of God who has delivered him from affliction, and therefore he speaks with confidence, with a, a deep expectation, that because of the unchanging nature of God, that he will deliver the church in Corinth from whatever affliction they are enduring. This is his point. Listen, God does not change in his being. He does not change in his plans. And he does not change in his promises. It is a mind-bending reality and one that, listen, volumes have been written on. But maybe God says it best about himself in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. 
If you want to turn there, you can quickly to the end of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6. The prophet Malachi has spent most of his book, this book of Malachi, declaring how tired God is of Israel's unfaithfulness, <laughs> of the changes in their behavior towards him. In fact, Malachi says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. They've been a people that said one thing about their devotion to God, but have acted very differently in their day-to-day -day lives. I don't know if you can um, relate to that, right? Saying one thing of speaking the talk, talking the talk, but not walking the walk. And just about the time that you think in Malachi's mind that God is just going to say, man, I'm done with you all. This is what he says in Malachi 3.6, through the prophet Malachi, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, no matter how unfaithful you have been, are not consumed. Here it again, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. And for you, O house of Jacob, because I don't change, you will not be consumed. Because I am faithful to my promise, you will not be consumed. I want you to see in that the unchanging nature of God towards his promises. He made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 to make him a, a great nation. And he promises them a deliverer and a life with him as God. And even though the people of God have over and over again failed in their part, God says, I will not relent on my part. I will not consume you, but I will keep my promises to love you. And this is the very thing that points us to Jesus on the cross, right? And it points us to God as a forgiving God. He had a plan and he had a purpose to deliver his people, and he did. And with it, there should be confidence that he is always a delivering God. Can we just pause to try to grasp on to that amazing truth in our own lives. That though we, one way or another, are ever-changing and living in a world that is always changing, God is not. And it means that in an ever-changing world, listen, we need to be pushed more and more to that unchanging God, to rely on His unchanging nature. So two points so far, everything changes, but God does not. And it leads us to point three, that we might rely on him in change. Paul says in our text, we have affliction. <laughs> Paul says, I know affliction. I've been through it in Asia, and I know Corinthian church of your affliction. But, says verse nine, that affliction was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I have more than once been dumped into some pretty raging rapids while whitewater rafting. I like the change of whitewater rafting. I love the challenge of whitewater rafting. And youth ministry often took kids whitewater rafting. And in that, have often been flipped out of a boat, dumped into the water. And once you get past the freezing cold water that you are in in the midst of that rapid comes the reality of the fear of being swept down river right i don't know if you've ever been in that circumstance there there's a lot of angst in the midst of the constant change of the river and the change that you are in the river in the midst of falling out of a boat 
in the middle of a rapid. And there is no better sight, there is no better feeling than coming upon a steady and solid rock on the bank that you can grab hold of, right, in the midst of all the change of the water around you and know that you are safe and know that you are secure. Or that the people in your boat somehow have been able to grab hold of you and hoist you back into that place of safety. That they, they rescue you and put you back in that boat. In the midst of the ever-changing water and the fear that you have in the midst of that change, there is no greater feeling than the very thing that you know won't change. That that rock won't move. That that boat is a safe harbor for you. See, there's nothing better than something certain in uncertainty. There's nothing better than finding something that does not change in the midst of the ever-changing. Is this not true of life? That the ever-changing circumstances of life almost sometimes make us feel as if we are drowning. How good. Mm. How good does a rock that will never change, that will never move, sound in such a circumstance. Paul, in this text, suggests, he suggests that God might even orchestrate the storm, orchestrate the rapid, to remind us of an ever-changing world, so that we might find ourselves relying on Him who does not change. Do you hear it there? That was, the affliction was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Listen, can I, can I suggest this? That the coronavirus and all of the after effects of the coronavirus has come? Or, or maybe in your life it's not even the coronavirus, it's other circumstances in your life. Change that has made you feel as if you were drowning in life. Listen, can I suggest that even those things have come that you might be ever more reliant on the unchanging nature of God. In chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, we referred to it before in the thorn in the flesh of Paul. He literally hears the voice of Jesus say to him as he cries out uh, three times that God would relent. and He hears the voice of Jesus say, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, get this, is made perfect in weakness. To which Paul responds, well, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I will boast in the things that change, the affliction, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. He goes on, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. Can we add to that viruses, <laughs> financial stress, relational stress? I am content with these. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, when I'm in the rapid... That's the point that I'm desperately searching for that rock that does not move. 
is Paul not saying again that change comes? Storms come. That we might be all the more reliant on God. I have a nephew. Uh, it is actually Pastor Bob's oldest son, Nathan, who wrote a song way back with a band called After Z. You can still find them on Spotify. You can find this song on Spotify. The song is called Everything Changes. It has some personal significance for Deneen and I and our family because at a time of change when our son was getting married, uh, we played this song uh, for the mother-son dance because Deneen certainly felt as if things were changing. The song goes like this in the one part of the chorus. It says, everything changes. It may seem we are at the end, but I got a feeling this is where we begin. Everything changes. It may seem we are at the end, but I got a feeling this is where we begin. The song ends with this, everything changes taking the storms and making them into gold. Can I ask you a question? In the midst of this pandemic, where, where is your hope? Where is your reliance? Is it on the medical community and with no disrespect to the medical community, right? We thank God for them. They are not our hope. Is it the scientific community? And with all due respect to the scientists who are working day and night, right, with regard to the control of this virus, they are still not our hope. Is it on a vaccine that we all seem to be waiting for? I would suggest, no, that is not our hope. Is it on Fox News to tell us the truth about everything that's happening? No, it's not on Fox News. That's not even on the fact that, that we may have our own personal feelings of, this isn't really so bad. That is not our hope. What's our hope? Where is your hope? Is it possible that this storm, that any storm, in our lives might make you feel as if you are at the end. That as Paul said, that feels like there's a death sentence. That these storms might reveal to us that we're really at the beginning. At the beginning of trusting God in a whole new way. Paul tells the church in Corinth that affliction has come that they might not rely on themselves, but on God. Can I suggest to us, church, that where our hope is, where Paul's hope is, where the church in Corinth's hope is, is indeed in this God who doesn't change. Can I tell you that God is trustworthy? And he is trustworthy because he is an ever-certain, unchanging God, a rock in the midst of your rapid. And he may just bring storms to make gold. He may bring changes so that you discover that he is unchanging. But it doesn't end there. 
real quickly. Everything changes. God does not. So that we might rely on him more. Fourth point, that ultimately we might be changed. Hear me out. Get this. Our response to the fact that everything changes and God does not should not only be a reliance on him in the storm, a stone that we hold onto in the midst of a rapid, but a call to return to him in repentance. That we would be changed in knowing him. John Piper, in his book, Coronavirus and Christ, where we've been referring to every week, has been a great resource for me in these sermons, says this in response to the question of what is God doing through the coronavirus, right? That's the basis of the book. And he says this, the coronavirus is God's thunderclap call, like that, thunderclap call for all of us to repent and to realign our lives with the infinite worth of Christ, or in context of today's sermon, that the coronavirus is God's thunderclap call for us all to repent and realign our lives with the unchanging nature of God. So listen, maybe, maybe it is more than just grabbing the rock in the rapid for our own safety, but even more that we might stand upon that rock. <laughs> that it not be a, a momentary place of rest, but a more permanent place of repentance. Because if we are honest, we have all grabbed a hold of God in the midst of storms. But as soon as the storm subsides, <laughs> we have often too quickly gone back to our old ways. Go back with me just for a second to the book of Malachi, after God declares the wonderful news that he does not change, so we are not consumed, that is good news, that he is faithful to his promise to love us, he says this, return to me. Listen to the invitation of God today. While we have wandered off into the storms of our sin, God says, God invites us he implores us, come back to me. That as we rely on him in change, that we might be changed to be more like him. To find our identity in his unchanging nature. And to stand on him rather than standing in the storm. So hear God this morning. Hear him in the midst of all the changes that bring uncertainty. That he does not change and grab onto him as the one thing certain in uncertainty. The one thing that doesn't change when everything else does. And listen, get to know him as more than a resting place. Hear his voice. Hear his invitation to fall in love with him. To return to him. And indeed, find yourself in a place of repentance. Turning from the storm. And not just holding on for rescue, but holding on in repentance and saying, no, you, you are my Lord. I have a picture that hangs in my office that says this, the only constant in the Christian walk besides Almighty God is change, external and internal. If you're not experiencing change, check your faith pulse. Let me say it again. 
The only constant in the Christian walk besides Almighty God is change, external and internal. If you are not experiencing change, check your faith pulse. It was a wall hanging given to me a couple of decades ago by an amazing lady that came to me as a nominal believer in Jesus. She just attended church once in a while. Her kids ranged in age from late elementary to senior in high school, and they as well were eh, scant in their attendance to youth group and the things that we did in youth ministry. Life seemed to be good for her. Uh, healthy, good, uh, had plenty of resources, and uh, lived pretty well. Till one day, the husband that she adored that she loved came to her and told her that he was no longer in love with her and was going to leave her. It was a moment in time for her that everything changed. It was an unexpected and a cataclysmic storm. And in the months to come, she would submit to a divorce that she didn't want. She would say goodbye to her son as he left for college. And then face so many uncertainties that were beyond the young pastor whom she sat before. But then there was God, who never changes. Initially, I will admit, she just tried to hold on to a rock that she didn't understand, and even sometimes a rock that she questioned even existed. But you know what? Over time, she fell in love with God, not only as a rescuer, but as her Lord. She was able to look deep within herself and to see even her sin to live in repentance of it. And she is to this day an amazing woman seeking hard after God and serving Him in the inner city among broken people in Pittsburgh. She learned a lesson. There are two constants in life. One is that everything changes. But the second is that God does not. And it's in that place that we discover who God is. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, she had received what she thought was the sentence of death, but it was given to her that she might not rely on herself, but on God, who raises the dead. And she was able to set her hope on a God who delivers his people, delivers us from sin, and delivers us from death. Here's a question for you to ponder, maybe not to together in your living room today, maybe, but certainly within your heart. Do you know this unchanging God as a certain thing in your uncertainty? Do you know this unchangeable God in the midst of everything changing. I have good news. He stands today and he says, return to me. He says to you, 
return to me. Hold on to me. Stand upon me. He says to you today, I will be your certain hope in the midst of whatever uncertainty you walk through. I will be your unchanging God in the midst of a life that sees and seems like everything is changing. Everything changes. It may seem we are at the end. You might feel that. But I got a feeling like this lady that gave me that plaque that this might just be the beginning. That God is taking our storms and making them into gold. People of God, everything changes. God does not. That we might rely on Him ultimately that we might be changed. Let's pray together. God, just a moment to allow that to rumble in our heads, to sink into our hearts. That we might respond today. It's not just the end of the sermon, but it is a moment in which we respond. We all understand God, that you've brought lots of changes into our lives. Would you reveal to us today your nature, that you are unchanging, and a certain hope in our uncertainty, that today men and women and children within hearing my voice, sensing your spirit, would turn to you would trust in you, would even declare that you are Lord of their life, the certain thing in their uncertainty, the unchanging thing in everything that is changing, that we might stand upon you. Know your forgiveness in our repentance. Know your strong arms in the midst of our storm. Know your love that gives us hope. Ah, may that be. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I often find myself, um, as I watch this on my television on Sunday, lounging in my couch even as I sing wonderful words of praise. I'm going to challenge myself on Sunday. That's kind of a weird thought, right? I'm challenging myself on Sunday, but I'm challenging you right now. I'm about to sing a song that says, I'll stand. My soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. I don't know how we can sing that song sitting down. So can I ask you indeed to stand together? Maybe even today with arms raised high, as the song suggests, surrendered to our unchanging God. Will you sing with me?